Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Friday, May the 3rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we finish up the rookie scouting profiles, taking a look at Miami's crop of undrafted free agents, who has the best path to the 53-man roster. Plus, I'll put a bow on the entire draft class as a whole with my final takeaways from this 2019 NFL draft. Plus, Kevin Dern's progress report, through phase one of this rather extensive rebuild from the LockedOnDolphins.com page. We'll discuss that, jump into the Twitter mailbag, and roll out a nice little announcement at the end of this thing for you guys. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya Podcast app or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TunedIn, Google Play, however you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, leave us a rating, leave us a review, tell us how we're doing on the show. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingful NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. And of course, LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the Locked On Network. And last but not least, the rest of the Locked On Sports catalog of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. It's a beautiful, sunshining Friday. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. Up on LockedOnDolphins.com right now is the final piece and a very relieving piece for me because it means I am done watching all these college players, all 23 of them in total on tape, and giving you guys opinions on how I think they fit onto the team, their strengths and their weaknesses. And of course, on Thursday's podcast, we talked about the release of Luke Falk, D. Delaney, and Jeremiah Valaga, and how it means more room for these UDFAs in this new class, under this new regime of coaches and front office. It's going to be a different football team this year with a different prototype which is my number one takeaway from this draft class. We'll come back to that here in a second. Let's go ahead and breeze through each of these UDFAs, starting with my favorite, Terrell Hanks from New Mexico State, a speed demon, a guy that can play different positions across the linebacker spot. And he was talking or garnering comparisons to Darius Leonard and Fred Warner at the Senior Bowl for his tenacity, his aggression, and he has great ball skills with eight career interceptions in the NFL. He's going to have to get more clean with his coverage habits in terms of being too grabby and the lack of control when arriving at the ball carrier. But check out the videos in the piece on LOD.com showing Hanks banging heads down a mobile at the Senior Bowl. He's a good-looking prospect. I'm surprised he didn't get drafted, but he did run a 4.98 at the Combine because of an angle injury, and he is a speed player. So that's not indicative of who he is, but that's why he fell out of the draft altogether. Linebacker Trey Watson from Maryland was all first-team Big Ten. He's a little bit different of a linebacker. Probably a little bit sturdier in terms of his build and the way he plays the game, but he's a sound tackler with good fundamentals, and he arrives with force at the point of the ball carrier. Probably more competition for Chase Allen and Mike Hole opposed to Jerome Baker and Andrew Van Ginkle and that type of linebacker. The wide receiver from Colorado State, Preston Williams, had a very shaky career. 
He missed a year of his college eligibility from a transfer and also got popped for an assault charge. So that stuff comes with him to Miami. But he is that big physical specimen with a 4.5 40-yard dash. So he can run decently well for his size, but he can outposition and rebound balls in the end zone. He is competition for Devontae Parker and Bryce Butler at the X position. Wide receiver Trenton Irwin from Stanford caught everything thrown to him. 77.5% of his pass targets he hauled in, but he doesn't have any touchdown production and he's not very clean as a route runner. I'd be surprised if he made the team. Defensive end Jonathan Ledbetter out of Georgia has a great shot to make the team. 6'4", 280 pounds, 34 and a half inch arms, has the ideal build to play that five technique in this defense. And he's not really explosive or with COD change of direction, but he can play with those heavy hands, the balance and the power you want from a defensive end. Another DN, Dwayne Hendricks out of Pittsburgh. I think he has a long way to go. Might be a practice squad option. Option, but he does have some explosiveness to his game so he can play a possibly linebacker or D-end in this defense. Cornerback Nick Needham out of UTEP. This guy has flawless footwork and he marries that with good technique with his hands and the way he approaches mirroring and man coverage. I think he has a fantastic chance to make the roster. We'll get back to his name here in a minute. Cornerback Montre Hardage out of Northwestern. A little bit too slow, I think, for this defense, which I think will ultimately do him in as you have to have long speed. He's a bit stiff in the hips, but he does have nice numbers across the board with the vertical, the broad jump, the three cone, the short shuttle to make up for that lack of 40 time and the lack of long speed on tape. He does have tracking skills and an instinctive nature at cornerback, so he fits the makeup there. Tyler Horton from Boise State, kind of the same thing. A playmaker with ball skills who can get into phase and play man coverage that way. But his game lacks functional strength, which will have to improve to stick at this next level. On the offensive line, Ryan Anderson is a bit of a zig to the rookie zagging in terms of his build. He struggles with his pad level and anchor against bull rushes, and he's not the most athletic. I think he has a long way to go to make this roster. Who doesn't have a long way to go is the guard Shaq Calhoun or Dion Calhoun, depending on what you read it, where you read his name at from Mississippi State. He is built like a piece of granite, very strong, very thick in his upper body, and plays that way. He's got a high motor. He finishes blocks, but his technique needs to catch up a little bit in terms of his hand play. Something he's going to have to learn here with Pat Flaherty on the Dolphins offensive line. Aaron Montiero from Boston College comes from Brian Flores' alma mater, but he needs to improve his contact balance, weight transfer, and functional athleticism, just like Isaiah Prince, the Dolphins rookie in the sixth round. Offensive center, Kirk Barron from Purdue. There's a good-looking tape of him showing his scheme versatility, the fact that he can reach a three-tech, pull the play side. He can play gap scheme or zone scheme. He looks pretty good. I think he has a chance to make the roster as well. The free safety out of Villanova, Rob Roll. He was the only safety added this entire offseason for Miami. He has the size and the range and the instincts to play the middle of the field safety role, although his top end speed is a little bit lacking. And then we have a punter, Stone Wilson, and a long snapper, Les Farnsworth, who I could not tell you the first thing about those guys other than the fact that Stone Wilson averaged 44 yards per punt last year. I think these five guys have the best chance to make the roster. Shaq Calhoun, the offensive line position is just not good right now. And these guys, I think they brought in, might be better than the previous developmental guys like the Isaac Asiata, the Connor Hillens, those players of previous regimes. Kirk Barron, again, 
Daniel Kilgore is the starting center and there's nobody behind him. He might even win the starting center job if he does a good enough job in training camp throughout this entire process. On the defensive line, Jonathan Ledbetter, same story there. D-line's not very good. At linebacker, Terrell Hanks, I think, just plays the way the game the way they want linebackers to play. He can run, hit, and cover. Best of the UDFA class for my money. And second best is cornerback Nick Needham. Watch his footwork. It's fantastic if you get a chance to see his film. I think he will stick with the long-term roster as well. And with that, we have now touched on each of these 22 rookies coming to camp next week. Four rookie mini camps with the Dolphins. And this is, of course, without the tryout players. But all things told, I think this was a pretty nice haul for the Miami Dolphins. Their UDFAs and the draft, for that matter, really tells us about the prototypes they prefer at certain spots on this defense. The linebackers they brought in, for the most part, fit that bill. Sans Trey Watson, who doesn't really have the run ability, but these guys all have the ability to do some of the rare things the Patriots asked their linebackers to do, as we know Coach Flores will ask them to do here in Miami. At defensive end, they brought in the heavy-handed players with considerable strength and edge-setting ability. On the offensive line, they went for the Maulers, more particularly after length on the outside at tackle. As for the actual draft class, let's go ahead and round this thing up here real quick. Christian Wilkins, I flat out love this guy. The exact type of personality you want on your football team. And he can play football too. He's not just a personality. I think he jumps right in as an immediate starter and gives you somewhere between 60 to 70% of the snaps this season. And that increases closer to 75 or 80% by year number two. I think he'll be an integral part of the nickel rush packages on the interior and play off the weak side edge on running downs. He's going to play a lot of football this year. In the third round, Michael Dieter, I think there's a lot of room for him to grow, but I love the makeup. A strong, pliable lower half that allows him to be scheme diverse. He's a smart, smart football player with solid fundamentals and technique. I think he adds a level of competitive toughness, something Miami has been missing on the offensive line for a long, long time. And if he's healthy, I think he plays every snap this year for Miami and probably into the future as well. Andrew Van Geek in the fifth round probably my favorite pick of the entire class and he has the same mental aptitude traits as his former Wisconsin teammate in Michael Dieter linebackers in this defense like we've talked about are different from others and Van Ginkle fits a lot of the needs in coach Flo's defense where the pass rush comes from blitzing backers and lane integrity that's AVG's game to a T he's super smart and reactive in coverage he's a playmaker good ball production the ability to absorb blocks and play the run could be concerns but I think that's why he doesn't get thrust into a massive role right away and uses this year to get in the weight room and contribute as a sub-package backer. I think he can play 40-50% to 50% of the defensive snaps this year. A great number for a fifth-round pick. In the sixth round, Isaiah Prince. And you guys know this is my least favorite pick of the entire draft. Just too many reps over a three-year period where he is whipped badly. Too easily set up outside and left vulnerable inside. No discernible balance or weight transfer to his game. Speed rushers are going to flat out eat him alive in this league, but he is a two-year project, and I think we can revisit this in 2021. If he does play this year, it's going to be as the sixth offensive lineman in those heavy packages. Fullback Chandler Cox does a little bit of everything, and I think his progress could really determine 
what kind of offense Miami wants to be this year. If he hits immediately, we could see a ton of 21 personnel with Cox on the field half the time. And since I think it might take a bit longer than that, my bet is that we see Cox 20 to 30% of the snaps this season. And then Miles Gaskin, a production beast. You've heard me rattle off his stats time and time again. A smart, patient runner with good burst and a perfect outside zone scheme fit. He didn't catch the ball a lot at UW, but I think it's something he has the ability to pick up in the NFL. I think he's your number three back behind Drake and Balage and plays somewhere between 10 and 15% of the offensive snaps. The trade back to acquire a future two was a home run. I love that move by Greer. I still wish they could have found a way to move back in round one, but I understand that's easier said than done. All things told, I think they mostly gauged the board correctly. I'd have liked to seen them attack the secondary earlier on in this draft and more often since they didn't do it at all. I think the safety position is troublesome going forward and this class was loaded with good safeties. I still think I'd rather have Chase Winovich than Josh Rosen, though I understand the thinking there of the future quarterback as well. Again, all things told, I'm excited about the decision makers the Dolphins have in place. I think there's a real plan and I think they're showing that they intend to stick true to that plan. And with that, we're going to segue into our next segment, looking at Kevin Dern's article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, plus the Twitter mailbag. All that next, Locked On Dolphins podcast, at Wingful NFL, at Locked On Fins. Kickoff segment number two for this getaway day this Friday, May the 3rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I want to guide you guys over to LockedOnDolphins.com to check out Kevin Dern's latest piece, Small Important Steps in the Right Direction. And he talks about some of the pre-draft goals on how this Dolphins team has to adapt or die and get away from their old habits of paying way too much money for guys that maybe didn't do enough to garner those contract extensions or that pay scale that they hit and how they put more emphasis on draft picks and gathering draft picks that way through trades and selling off former pieces. He talks about free agency and how Miami was a little bit more frugal this year and kind of holding things close to their vest and sitting out on a market that tends to be overinflated based upon other teams buying big on huge positional needs. I think he hits the home run on that paragraph as well. Then he talks about the draft and how they wanted to go after tough and nasty guys that prioritize football. And I just think that Kevin is really on the right track here in terms of the mindset going forward and trying to overturn multiple stones to find the answer. He goes into the Josh Rosen trade, which he admits, as I do as well, is polarizing, but it's a good plan, a good strategy to try to find a quarterback in any way you can. And if you can do it at a low risk cost, the way the Dolphins did, it doesn't really matter what you think of the player because it's just good football sense because even if it's a small percent chance that it works out, it's much better than going into the year with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jake Rudolph and Luke Falk as your developmental guys that from there. And then he talks about where the Dolphins go from here. And I'll go ahead and leave that up to the imagination for you guys. Again, check out LockedOnDolphins.com. Small critical steps in the right direction by our 
newest or oldest, I suppose, but more frequent writer now, Kevin. You can find Kevin Dern's work on LockedOnDolphins.com as well as Twitter at KevinMD4. He's a good follow and a great writer and an even better football mind. So check out his stuff. And with that, let's go ahead and cross over here into the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill by now. I put the call out on Twitter for questions for the podcast. You respond. I respond to as many questions as I can on the podcast and give you a Twitter shout out as well. So with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. The first question here comes from JT Evans at JT underscore Evans 97. Which NFL team do you think ends up with the number one pick next year? And what is the best and worst case scenario record for the Dolphins, in your opinion, this season? The first pick in the draft next year, I don't think it's going to be Miami. I will go towards the New York Giants because I think that Eli Manning was... He stopped being good at football like four or five years ago. And for some reason, the only people that don't realize that are the Giants decision makers. And then they doubled down on Daniel Jones, who for my money just can't play at this level. So I think between the quarterback position, some general unrest between the head coach and the GM because they are not brought in together. I just think this entire thing has a possibility to blow up. And I think the lack of coaching and direction from the management means they'll be in much more dire straits than Miami is this year. So I think the Giants will pick number one and the Bengals are in that mix as well. As far as the Dolphins, I think the low would be like 3-13. and 13. I just think too highly of the coaching staff, and there's good enough talent to find some wins. Look, the talent gap in the NFL is not huge, and so coaching and sometimes luck has a big part to do with it. So I'll say three wins as the basement. The ceiling, I'll go ahead and say seven and nine is the best I could see Miami doing this season. Next question comes from Clinton Perrette. He is at Clint Perrette on Twitter. You're the GM of the Dolphins and Rosen performs well, but Miami has a top three pick in 2020. Do you take one of the big three quarterbacks, best player or trade for a draft haul to a QB needy team? That is the ultimate question the Dolphins will face this year. And frankly, if Josh Rosen plays good, like if he plays to where we say, wow, that guy is the franchise answer, they're not going to pick in the top three. That's just the nature of the NFL because quarterbacks mean too much for a guy to play very well and then to have their team play that that poorly in terms of wins and losses. So I don't think it's a possibility, but if the Dolphins do pick top three, I am not putting anything on the back burner for Josh Rosen when it comes to Tua Tonga-Vailoa or even Jake Fromm or maybe Jordan Love if I find more in his game that I like. I haven't watched enough of him to get a real read on him yet. I don't believe in Justin Herbert whatsoever, but I just would rather go after one of those quarterbacks that I feel a lot better about than I do personally about Josh Rosen. If he plays well, he could change my mind, but we got to get there first. Next question comes from Morten Smedholden at FinFan Norway. I know you liked Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and I did as well. I was actually hoping for him in a trade down in round one. Do you have any idea why he fell? Frankly, I do not because I saw a first round talent there and that kind of stuff just happens sometimes. We saw DK Metcalf go at the end of round two and even more surprising was Hakeem Butler who I thought was for sure a round one receiver fall back to round four in his own right. I just, I think that there's different needs and different teams that have different needs and different ways teams view these players and the scheme fits. It's just, it's so much that goes into the draft weekend that really what we think is going to happen never does. And I think this is just one of those cases, but the Saints got a good player in the fourth round. Sorry, I didn't really answer that question, but I just don't have a great answer for it. Next question here comes from Zach Zach Jackson at Black Creek 656. Any plans to attend Finns games this year? Yes, I'll be there for the Jets game in week number nine, I believe it is, November the 3rd, and I'll be there for the Bengals game on December 22nd in week 16. If you guys are going to be out, let me know. I'd love to meet up with as many as you as I possibly can. 
whether that's in Fort Lauderdale at Bow Campers or down on the boardwalk or the beach, whatever it's called. Had a great time there last year. Met up with a few Dolphins fans, but I'd love to meet even more. So Jets and Bengals home games. I'll be there for those ones. Next question here comes from Kyle Weeze. He is at KWeezyGG on Twitter. What is the difference in Rosen and Tannehill? I know Tannehill didn't have good pocket awareness. Just curious about what to be excited about this year. And the pocket awareness thing, I could really take or leave it because I think that there's examples of both these guys showing good ability to slide and move in the pocket. Of course, talking about Rosen and Tannehill and plenty of examples of them kind of seeing ghosts or not being able to get away from pressure. And Josh Rosen's really not that good in that area. But where I think that he could be a lot better is that he could grow in terms of the way he sees and processes the defense because we know he has the big arm and he can really thread tight windows. His accuracy wasn't as good as I wanted it to be last year, but I think that he could grow in that area with more anticipation and just knowing his landmarks and knowing the offense and maybe not changing so many offensive coordinators every single year. I think he has the mental aptitude and the process processing ability and the gamer mentality to make that thing happen as far as a football player and a quarterback, whereas Ryan Tannehill was just so by the book and so drone-like that it never really clicked into him for that natural instinct and that natural feel for the game. That's where Rosen could be better, and I hope that's where he is better at. Next question comes from Mr. Stubborn at Abduarte1 underscore one. What was the biggest shocker this past draft in terms of someone who was supposed to go early actually being drafted much later? It's got to be Chauncey Gardner-Johnson or Hakeem Butler. Just talked about it on that previous question. I thought both those guys were round one picks and they both go in the fourth round. That's pretty crazy to me. And I'll throw a wild card in there since I already talked about those two players. The fact that Andy Isabella went in the second round and Penny Hart went undrafted and I had those guys pretty closely lumped together, that was bananas to me. So I'll say Isabella and Penny Hart and the way they were misdrafted across the board. We're going to take a short break and come back and get to more of these questions. Plus a small announcement, not a big one. Don't get too excited here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Let's go ahead and do a couple more of these Twitter questions from the mailbag put out on Thursday. Appreciate you guys for doing this every single time for us here on the podcast. We always get about 25, 30 questions, and it's greatly appreciated even though we don't get to all of them. Let's go ahead and jump right back into it here from Eduardo Rivera. He is at E underscore Rivera 1989, and he basically asked me who do I think the Dolphins will go after in this upcoming wave of free agency. I'm going to point you back to yesterday's podcast because I did an entire segment on that very question. So check out the Thursday, May the 2nd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast for that answer. Next question comes from Chris J. F. Grave at CJ F. Grave on Twitter. Do you see us shipping Jones, McDonald, or Kiko before the season starts? Any trade plans coming up for this team? I really don't think so, just because I think the time to do it would have been for the draft. Although maybe they could explore that once training camp gets here and guys start getting hurt. If Rashad Jones wants to go to a playoff team or if somebody has a linebacker weakness and Kiko Alonso happens to fit that, maybe they will do that. And I'd be all for it. If I can get anything for either of those three players, because I don't believe any of them are going to be here next year, I would take it like that. So hopefully, but I don't see it happening, Chris. Next question here comes from Will. He is at underscore Will Reeves underscore. Do you think Gasicki will make a leap this year? And is Rosen a guy who likes his tight ends? I thought that Rosen's best play last year, and I'll get into this on the charting project, 
that his best play came in 12 personnel with two tight ends in the field. And I love the way he threw to Ricky Seals-Jones on vertical routes because he found a way to throw him open when he was on top of linebackers and underneath safeties. And he was pretty good throwing in that area. So I do think he has a strength in that regard. And I think Mike Kosicki will get better just because of the way they're going to use him. Like last year, it couldn't have been any worse in terms of his play utilization from what Adam Gaze asked him to do. And I do think there's a good football player in there. He just has to uncork it. The fact that he gained weight shows me his commitment, and I'm excited to see where he is come training camp. I think that and preseason is going to tell us a lot. All right, we're going to have to go ahead and cut this thing short right here and jump into the rest of the podcast. I wanted to go ahead and announce this on the podcast. It's nothing big, but I just think I'm going to put it out there in the universe because I finally am getting to work on it. But I will have the ultimate Josh Rosen piece for you guys, charting the formations, the personnel call, the depth of the routes, how many yards after the catch, how many air yards, how much time to pressure on average it took for him to get sacked, the chart of actually where the ball went on the play, drops, off target, on target, pass breakups, interceptions, everything you want to know about Josh Rosen's 2018 season from an in-depth film study and analytics study is going to be up on this piece. If you're not familiar with that, go back last year to the Ryan Tannehill charting project to see all the analytics and film study that went into Ryan Tannehill's game. I think it's very, very helpful in terms of finding out who this guy is and how you can isolate his play last year on a team that was very, very bad because even in that horrible circumstance, you can still find out what type of guy the quarterback is and you can grade him effectively that way too. And as much as there are other film guys out there that do a good job putting up tape, most of them tend to just talk about what happened on the play. I'm going to tell you why things happen and how the coverage went into it and their reads and all that fun stuff. It's much more extensive than anything you've seen on Josh Rosen. I promise you that much. We always deliver that here on LockedOnDolphins.com. And that's the announcement. That's really all it is. But I also wanted to talk about something a little bit more personal because sometimes it's pretty rare, but sometimes I'll get asked why people should trust me or where my background comes into. And so I thought about just telling you guys where I became so obsessed with the game of football, with the Miami Dolphins, and just how I got into tape study. And it really goes back to my pre-DVR like DVR days when I used to record every single Dolphins game on a VHS tape. I famously have an entire box of VHS games from that 2007 season, the 1-15 season. All of those games are on a VHS tape in a box in my garage, which is crazy. They're still out there, but they are, and that's how I used to watch the game. I would go back in the summertime and re-watch those tapes and watch players and, and rewind and fast forward and do all the fun stuff that got me more knowledge on the game. But really, that's not even close to enough to be a significant factor in this industry. And then I got Game Pass in 2013 and just watched as many football games as I possibly could, Dolphins or otherwise. I used to pick five games a week to watch at a time, like in a night or in a week. And I would go through that in the offseason and just watch different players, what they did well, what they didn't do well, how play calls worked. And that's when I decided I had to learn more from others. So I took up reading books, lots of them, like Steve Belichick scouting book, for instance, and plenty of other books I have on my shelf over here. There's a book called The Football Book that I have, for instance, that I, was one of the first ones that I read. So I took up the studying aspect of the game and reading things online, for instance, is a great example of how you can learn more about the game of football. Just Google stuff and you'll find great 
pieces that explain into detail what play calls are, route concepts, offensive schemes, all the fun stuff that we talk about in the podcast can be learned online if you're willing to put in the time. And a good example of that is I read three different pieces on the Earhart and Perkins scheme when Adam Gaze was brought here. And then when Chad O'Shea was brought here, I re- went back and reread those articles, then watched the Patriots and how they applied those principles, and then watched the Dolphins to see how well those principles could translate to their current personnel. I'd watch videos of film from other analysts and see how they broke the game down and how they saw the game. I'd read mechanics tutorials. I would draw things up on my whiteboard and just be immersed entirely in this entire sport, in this entire game, and find out how the mental aspect of it work. And I just kept relatively in touch with particular analysts that I found valuable. And that's why I think I... I ask you guys to trust my opinion and to take my opinion for value because it's based in hours and hours and years of studying and research and applying my own knowledge to the game. And I've just really kind of made myself, that's kind of what I've made my life about is learning this game of football and getting into this industry. And I can talk about the game all day long as I do on the podcast, obviously. And I just wanted to give you guys that that background as to how I got into this stuff and I think why you should trust me, which if you listen to the podcast, you probably do already. But I wanted to go ahead and put that out there and just let you know this is my obsession and it requires a lot of time and a lot of discipline to get to a point where you can accurately watch a play and tell me what goes on every single person in that play and their job and their responsibility and all that fun stuff. So that's how I got into it. That's where I am right now in my study. And that's why the Josh Rosen Film Study Project is going to be the most expansive thing on the Dolphins new quarterback you'll find on the internet. That should be out here in a couple of weeks up on LockedOnDolphins.com. Every single game and a cumulative piece at the end of that to tell you where I stand on Josh Rosen once I have digested the film. But I'm going to go ahead and get out of here today, taking off on a road trip with the missus for her birthday. Very much excited about that. Should be posting pictures on Twitter, I am sure. But I'm going to go ahead and duck out now. If you guys have a smart speaker or Bluetooth capability in your car, you can pull up the podcast right away. Just say play Locked On Dolphins podcast for your daily dose. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite team. Teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfulNFL. Follow the show at Lockdown Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockdownDolphins.com with a UDFA piece up there right now. You guys have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again on Sunday night for another edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up. <laughs>